prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, from Third Rock from the Sun to The Dark Knight Rises, to his new show for Apple, Mr. Corman. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, as I said, he is the main attraction. He is the one and only guest on today's episode of Happy, Sad, Confused. First time on the podcast, shockingly enough, even though I've talked to Joe many, many times throughout the years. I remember in the early going, it was films like Stop Loss and, um, of course, 500 Days of Summer. I've talked at length on the podcast, I think, before about um, being at that first screening for 500 Days of Summer at Sundance. Um, that was one of the best kind of surprise film experiences I've ever had in a theater. Um, so, you know, Joe has, has always mixed it up in the best possible way, whether it is Sundance films, blockbusters like his work with Christopher Nolan, or his directing efforts. He directed a great film a few years back called Don John, in which he starred with Scarlett Johansson. And now, his baby on Apple TV+, and I'm so happy for him, this is a 10-episode series called Mr. Corman, in which Joe plays the Mr. Corman of the title. And it is a bit of a, a what-if alter ego for Joe in that they share many qualities, but this is, this is a Joe, this is a character that uh, didn't necessarily find their place in the arts. And if anything, he's kind of a frustrated artist in this. He's a, he's a teacher, which he finds rewarding in some ways, but there is a bit of unfulfilled ambition in this, in this Mr. Corman character. And we follow him through his relationships with his family and his dating life. And um, like Joe's work, and if you know his, his work, especially in, in projects like his hit record, Endeavor, his kind of social media platform, you know Joe likes to kind of experiment and push the envelope in interesting ways using animation and music, and this show is anything but conventional. It, it zigs and zags in very cool ways, has digressions in certain episodes that you don't see coming, and um, I really dug it. I watched the whole series, all ten episodes. I think by the time you hear this conversation with Joe, maybe the first five or six episodes are out, um, so dig into it. It's on Apple TV Plus and, and watch the episodes and, and watch Joe's uh, baby come to life because, um, you know, we got to support great artists out there and Joe is certainly one of them. Um, this is a guy who has been performing since he was just a little kid and we get into kind of all of it and, um, you know, his early going as an actor through his kind of first huge break, which was, of course, on Third Rock from the Sun. Um, in which he starred opposite the likes of John Lithgow and Jane Curtin, and what a gift and what a what a fantastic experience that ended up being for him. Uh, and then mixing it up with kind of you know indie Sundance films, and then reinventing himself in films like uh, Inception and The Dark Knight Rises and Fifty Fifty, kind of more mainstream stuff. Uh, and now kind of finding that great balance between the big studio stuff and the unique independent stuff. Um, working in TV, working in film, doing it all. So um, always enjoy talking to Joseph Gordon-Levitt because he is somebody in it for the right reasons and is just a decent, good guy and, and someone I've had the privilege of knowing and talking to for, for many, many years. And it was fun to catch up with him about this, uh, this new endeavor. So that's the, that's the main event on today's podcast. Um, other stuff to mention, well, as always, there's a lot going on in the TV film world and certainly a lot going on that I've been up to. Shang-Chi opens this Friday, if you're listening to this when the pod drops. Shang-Chi is just 
hours away, and I, I really dug it. This is a really fun, cool um, launch of a new superhero in the in the MCU. Uh, Simu Liu has charisma to burn. He's fantastic in it. Tony Leung is just like, oh my god, just amazing. Eats up the screen every second he's on it. Of course, Michelle Yeoh, Aquafina. It's a, it's a really great cast, and exciting to see a new character on the scene that takes their rightful place among the pantheon of great Marvel heroes. So along those lines, I did do a bunch of conversations for this movie. Uh, I talked to both Simu uh, for the first time, and he was a delight, and Aquafina, who I've had the pleasure of talking to throughout her career. So some really cool stuff coming on MTV News uh, on their you know YouTube and Facebook page. Uh, I have kind of a more career straightforward conversation with Simu, which was fantastic and fun. Uh, and then for Comedy Central, I got a chance again to catch up with Simu and to talk to Aquafina. So some more fun stuff, uh, silly stuff for Comedy Central. If you want to catch that stuff out, uh, uh, catch that stuff rather, uh, check out Comedy Central's YouTube page. If you want to check out a more straightforward conversation with Simu that is still delightful and fun in its own right, check out uh, the MTV News page. Of course, I'll put up the links um, everywhere so you cannot miss them. Um, let's see, other things to say. Well, over on the Patreon page, a lot going on. We have a new game night. I think by the time you listen to this, I'm not going to try not to jinx it. It's happened already. I just need to kind of hit send. Um, we have a new game night. A new game night out. Um, and this one I'm so stoked about. This is a reunion of the Once Upon a Time cast. Three key members of Once Upon a Time have come together for a game night on the Happy, Sad, Confused Patreon page. That, of course, means Colin O'Donohue, who's been on, on game night before, but also Josh Dallas and Emily DeRavin. Um, four different time zones around the world came together for your entertainment guys, and it was a fun reunion um, with people I adore um, talking about a little bit about a show I adore, but mostly just playing silly games. So if you want to catch that, go over to patreon.com slash happy sad confused. You can check it out there along with video versions of the podcast. Got a chance to put up the video version of my James McAvoy conversation and Sharon Horgan from last week. Uh, Joe will be up there. Um, as many video versions of the podcast as possible we put up on the Patreon. So been getting great feedback on it. Thank you guys so much for um, choosing to join the Patreon if you have. And if you haven't, give it a whirl if you feel like it. You know, I know it costs a little bit, but, you know, we're trying to make it the value, you know, worthwhile for you guys. And it does take some uh, some man hours and people to make the Patreon happen. So hope everybody's digging it. And thank you again for your support over there. Um, I think that's all I'm going to tease for now, except to say we already have some really cool podcasts that are banked, that are done, that are in the can, that are coming up in, in the next few weeks um, I've been watching a lot of really cool fall TV and film. I'm not sure what I can talk about and what I can't talk about. Hmm, what to tease, what to tease. Well, I can say Impeachment, the American Crime Story show, uh, starring Sarah Paulson and Beanie Feldstein, very engrossing. You can check that out. What else could I say? What else could I say? Um... Oh, that's all I'll tease for now. There's there's some big stuff coming in in all the stuff I'm doing, but I I, I don't want to I don't want to ruin it prematurely, guys. Okay, 
Um, okay, let's get to the main event. This is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Again, his new show is Mr. Corman. Check it out on Apple TV+. Plus. It's a true labor of love for him, and we got to support Joe because he's a good one out there. And um, it's really entertaining and fun and smart and interesting, just like Joe. I hope you enjoy this chat with Mr. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I don't do formal introductions, Mr. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You are now <laughs> on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, whether yeah, you wait. or not. Um, well, it's yeah. good to see you, man. I, 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 uh, I, you know what? One of the things I love most about what I get to do is um, by sticking around as long as I've done, um, I get to meet people in different phases of their life. And I've been talking to you <laughs> since you were in mid-late 20s. Yeah. You're 40 now, man. I you have know. a family, and it's just—it's—it's—it it, honestly, I, you know, in all. And happy to hear you have a family too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy, and you know, I, I sometimes feel like I'm, I'm a little bit more fixed in granite than the people I, I talk to, but um, in a good way, I'm happy with my life. But I'm also very happy for all your success and and the, the ways that you, in particular, have explored your creativity over the years, because there's nobody more curious. <laughs> and inventive than Mr. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, that's really sweet, man. If there's one one complimentary adjective, curious might be up there. That's really <laughs> nice. Thank you. I, I mean it, and we'll get into all of it. But I mean, like you know, Mr. Corman is why we're talking today, and this is um clearly a labor of love, and, and in some ways, it feels like a very very pure expression of your view of the universe. Even if it is mm -hmm. a collaborative art form, it if this feels born of your spirit. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. And that that was uh, something I was trying for the whole time was just being really honest and yeah. and and not not saying like, OK, well, what would what would this person want or what would that cohort want or what would this platform want? Um, and, and credit to Apple for giving me the creative freedom to do that. And I, I made something that's really to my taste and that I find really, you know, it, it's very, it's very much the kind of thing that I would want to watch. So, um, yeah. um, and uh, I really, I really appreciate getting the opportunity to make it. So th this one, it also, it's curious, like when this one came about for you and that like you, you took, you clearly took a little bit of a break to focus on family and to kind of like reorient a little bit. And then mm -hmm. out of that, interestingly enough, comes this thing, which is very much to, to paraphrase another streaming show right now a what if kind of the uh -huh. roads the other roads <laughs> not taken yeah. um but because this does feel like an alternate universe joseph gordon levitt in, in some ways yeah that's that is pretty precisely what it is uh and when i look back on the first my first notes when i was first like writing down ideas for this show it was they were there in 2015 which is the year i became a dad so it's funny you say that because that is i i did i took a break um, from show business for a couple of years and, and just focused on being a dad and, um, and, you know, kind of took stock of my life. And I think becoming a dad made me feel very much like, okay, now there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I am a grown up. Right. I think before that, it's a little nebulous when you really become a grown up or don't. It's honestly still nebulous because in many ways I still feel much the same ways I've always felt ever since I was a little kid. But, um, but once there's these, you know, young people involved who I'm going to be responsible for and, and who I care so much about in a whole different way than I've ever cared about anything, um, 
that felt to me like, okay, that's a threshold. Now I'm, now I'm an adult. And taking stock of what my life was, I felt so grateful for so many things, having found a partner who I love so much and uh, having our kids and having two parents of my own who are really reliable or getting to do work that I care about or just living in a safe place or being healthy. So many things that I felt grateful for. And where that led my mind was thinking, you know, a lot of these things just come down to luck. Like, I know plenty of people who are who are wonderful people who just haven't met their partner yet. They just haven't met them. And I happened to meet mine. And how lucky I got that she and I happened to find each other. And, you know, or uh, my parents. I'm so lucky for the two parents that I have. Um, I, I know other people who are, again, wonderful people, and um, uh, but maybe don't have uh, such healthy, positive yeah. um, parents as, as, as I was lucky enough to have. And so I, I started kind of thinking about these things where I got lucky and changing some of them. Not all of them, but just some of them. And, and that's where this character of Josh Corman kind of arrived. And and needless to say, also with career uh, respect, respect yes. to the career. I mean, like needless to say, as you well know, you're in a profession that yes rewards um, the best, but also my gosh, more luck involved no, than most. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, yeah. here's what I would say: you can't stay at the top ostensibly without a, a healthy amount of talent, usually. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, of course it's it's complicated, but I when I when I hear, you sometimes hear people saying, like, I deserve everything I got. I worked <laughs> for it, or blah, blah, blah. Like, no. nope. That's <laughs> just, just not how <laughs> show business works. I don't think that's how really any, anything in the world works. But there is there is a healthy, healthy dose of luck to anybody that has succeeded in show business. Because I know plenty of people who are incredibly talented, incredibly hardworking, that just didn't get those lucky breaks. It's it's curious to me that that anxiety really hangs over this character and mm-hmm. this show because um, it's certainly a part of all our lives to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, when I think of you, I think of a very confident performer, actually. I think of somebody uh-huh. that feels very like seemingly comfortable in their own skin and in many different kinds of like big environments, like on a, on a stage, on an award mm-hmm. show, like, it seems like you're like in your element and maybe part of that's just like, you've been doing it for so long, but is it all a facade? Is there still an inner kind of child <laughs> that's crying when you're on an Academy Awards stage or what, I mean, what, what's going on there? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know that it's all a facade. I think I, I think that part's true, but there are other parts that are true that I don't usually get to show. And yeah, I, my mind will sometimes go to some negative places and, um, I don't, I don't, I don't usually share that. Like with, for example, you, Josh, when I'm seeing you, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm usually scrubbed up perfect version. Yeah. I'm, I'm (laughs) upbeat and, and telling people about, you know, a movie or something that I made that I really care about. And, um, it, that there's no use in me telling you about my insecurities or, you know, the, the moments where I doubt myself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, ex- I experienced those moments and it's, it's, it's not that I, I know that I have so much to be grateful for. It's incredible. I, I say, thank you. I, I, I 
think I usually remember every day to just say, thank you, oh my God, I can't believe how lucky I am. But sometimes my brain still just goes to darker places and I, you know, I tell it not to. <laughs> I'm like, hey, don't do that. You you have so much to be happy about. Why would you go to these dark places? But it, it, it does anyway. And, you know, so the... the that I, I do personally have that tendency. And then this character, uh, Josh Corman, which sounds sort of like Joseph Gordon, his brain is doing that maybe even a bit more than mine does. And um, I, I'm close with some people that experience, um, you know, diagnosable anxiety disorders. Uh, it's, it's actually incredibly common. It's, it's one out of every six people in the United States uh, is going through some kind of diagnosable anxiety disorder. And um, I actually did, I, I went to a doctor once talking about my own thoughts and mind, and I came away knowing I don't have what would be diagnosable as an anxiety disorder. Um, so there's there's really, I think, kind of a, uh, yeah, there's a gradient. Of it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <yes. laughs> um, but uh, but it's it's something that I think it's it's built into being a human being. We're you know we're worrying machines. That's what we do. When our ancestors were running around in the wild trying to survive, we had to keep out you know keep a lookout of like what's the next thing that's going to kill us. Yeah, if you're you not know? worried, you're going to be eaten by that bear very quickly. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so our brains are built to do that, and um, and I don't know. I've I've found that a lot of people that I, are some of my favorite people worry a lot and, and go to negative no, totally. places sometimes. Yeah. I sometimes don't, I actually don't trust the people that are so comfortable in their own skin and <laughs> yeah. so at peace all the time. Like, really? I can't yeah. relate to you on that level. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of anxiety, I mean, I think the last time we, we connected was on the eve of you making this show. It was at Sundance. You were so stoked. I remember oh, you were yeah. so excited to, um, to do this. The last in-person Sundance so oh far. Gosh, I know. Um, but then obviously you endeavor to make this, you start making it, you start shooting it. And like the rest of the world, you shut down. And right. I did not realize this until I was like halfway through the show and I started reading up on it that certainly there's, there's nothing on the screen that indicates this, but you guys relocated to New Zealand, which is yeah. fascinating to me. Talk to me a little bit about how that pivot happened. And it, I mean, clearly if you watch the show to the end, you see COVID you know, is there without being, you know, the main driving force of the show, but it's present. Right. Talk to me about the evolution of how the show evolved, both thematically and also just physically moving to New Zealand. Yeah. So like you said, there was, uh, we were three weeks into shooting when the pandemic arrived. And what's hilarious is, I don't know if hilarious is the right word. Maybe that goes to show you what my sense of humor is, but <laughs> I find it hilarious <laughs> that, that days prior to us shutting down entirely, I remember having a conversation with you know one of my one of my producers saying like, "Do you think this whole uh, coronavirus thing will actually impact our shooting schedule?" And, and we were that oh, oblivious, sweet, naive. Yeah, no, like, we all were though. We all were. I so mean. so soon before it actually yeah. all fell down. But uh, so we we tried our very best to try to. Um, get our production up and running in Los Angeles again. Um, but it was, we didn't find a way that was, that felt safe and feasible. And my intrepid producing partners at A24 had the brilliant idea to go to New Zealand. I remember when uh, Ravi called me and, and Ravi was like, would you ever consider going and spending a lot of time 
in New Zealand. And I was, I just hit the roof. I, I mean, cause the truth is, is that my wife and I had already been fantasizing about, cause you know, they're the, one of the only places in the world to have handled the pandemic in, yeah. in such a thorough way. And, uh, it's a huge tribute to their leader, Jacinda Ardern, as well as the, the, I think even more so just the people, the people of New Zealand are really community oriented and, and team players. And they, that's a generalization, of course, but there really is something in the culture there that I think allowed them to pull together as a nation and, and beat it together. And, uh, and so we were able to, to go there and, and finish our show. And, um, and then, you know, you asked about, I don't mean to keep talking about, uh, um, no, please. The, 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 yeah. In terms of the, what the show is actually about has to yeah. change a bit. Yeah, yeah we, so we had to start rewriting because yeah. we were, you know, we were posed with the, the question of like, okay, so should we just keep going with these scripts we've already written? That feels weird because this isn't an escapist show. You know, it's not Game of Thrones. It's, it's a show about real people in real life. Yeah, and it just didn't feel like real life was going to be reflected by the reality before the pandemic so but we also felt like but we don't we don't want to set the whole thing during the pandemic yeah and we talked about the possibility of well we could set it after the pandemic but nobody knows when that is or what the world will look like so are there uh, flying cars then because we don't know yeah. how long this <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so we ended up um we ended up making just the last three episodes uh, showing the pandemic arriving. And yeah. and so we made almost sort of like a work of historical fiction because it's, it's only like a, you know, whatever, a year and a half ago or something, but it feels like an eternity ago. It feels like history, the, yeah. the days when before the pandemic arrived and when it arrived. And so, yeah, episode one, you see on Mr. Corman's chalkboard that it's 2019 and, uh, and then, Right at the end of episode seven, you see, oh, it's March of 2020. And then episodes eight, nine, and 10 are, are set during the pandemic. And um, only one of the episodes really focuses on it. Episode right. eight is is sort of, that's the only new script that we wrote from scratch uh, during the pandemic. And it's, it's about that. Um, and then episodes nine and 10 are sort of versions of what we had before, but now set in this new time. Um. And by the way, they, I, I just most recently watched those, and those are some of my my favorites. I mean, I, uh, I want to get into the acting and the guest actors, but like oh, Hugo Weaving is just fantastic. I know, this. I love that episode. I'm happy you you sent him out. I really, yeah. really dug that. I mean, not to ruin anything, but you get to see a side of Hugo Weaving you, you haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. um, but talk to me a little bit about like, one of the things, again, I love about the series, and I think it really reflects you and your disparate kind of interests um, is the big swings it takes. And sort of as you see the show progress, you realize more and more like this is so non-formulaic, like there are gonna be <laughs> perspective shifts, there's gonna be animation, there's gonna be uh, just a lot of what I would call big swings, which I love, yeah. um, whether they work or not in any form, I wanna, be, I wanna see a big swing. Uh -huh. um, was that baked into the concept from the start when you started to kind of outline the arc of this show? Like this is episode six, we're gonna shift perspective and then we're gonna do it again in nine and, or, or whatever or what? Yeah, it it was. I mean, it was always something I really wanted to do. I I I wanted more than anything to show something really honest and that felt real. And um, 
In fact, the first draft of the script that I wrote was very much just realism. Mm. And uh, it was Ryan Johnson, in fact, who gave me this really great piece of feedback. And he was like, okay, this, this does feel very real, but I also know you and I know how much you like to play. And I feel like, you know, this, you could do that here. This is, if this is your thing and you're trying to make kind of the most honest and, and true to yourself thing, to me, it wouldn't feel like you if you didn't play. And, um, and I, I thought that was a really great piece of feedback. And, and I th also think that if you're going to make something that feels really real, for me, you have to play around because mm. reality doesn't always feel real. <laughs> real life to me sometimes feels crazy and, and hard to understand or hard to predict or like you don't know what's happening or like this just got really bizarre. Like that, yeah. that's how real life feels to me. And yeah. so how often do we say to, we, to our friends and family, like this can't be happening? What, yeah, what the fuck is yeah, this? This is I beyond like who could have, who could have written this? Well, I like how you put that. This can't be happening. So yeah. So the, there are these moments where the characters just feeling feelings that are too big to really capture through just pure realism. And, right. you know, for example, you know, he, this is a character who really loves his mom and is very close with her. But they have they also project their own insecurities onto each other and they have a complicated relationship and they have trouble saying I love you to each other. And, you know, you could just have a moment where the two of them pause and sigh and get back in the car and don't say I love you. But I don't think that would really capture how it really, really feels. And so right. they sing a song and dance across the rooftop of his childhood home. And uh, and that to me does capture that powerful powerful feeling much more because we're able yeah. to depart from reality you 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 direct a number of the episodes i'm curious you know we talked way back when when you directed your feature don john but i'm curious how you direct your actors does it does it reflect how you want to be directed as an yeah. actor <laughs> yeah i think so um i uh well one of the things that i i find a, a lot with acting and directing is sometimes the little subtle things are hard to talk about. <clears throat> it's hard to put them into words. And it's always sort of a challenge to have a conversation with the director and, and really feel confident like, oh, I know exactly what it is that you're looking for. That's a subtle thing, but I think I get it. Right. And, um, and when I'm acting and directing at the same time, Sometimes I don't even need to have that conversation. I don't need to go to the actor as a director and say, so you know if this thing, like, can we change it subtly? Because that, that can be muddy or, or more confusing than helpful. And what I can often do is just change my own performance a little bit. And, you know, I was working with incredible actors in Mr. Corman. So they're, they're going to be listening and they're going to be really tuned in to the other actor that they're acting with. And yeah. if I make a little change, it'll probably bring something different out in them. And so I, I really love acting and directing at the same time. I also love directing and not acting, um, but I've, I've done less of it. I want to do more of it. <laughs>
what's the what's the note you've been given at some point in your career on a set that you will never pass pass on to another actor that was that was totally unhelpful that was just um <laughs> something you can't actually or don't, just don't find helpful as an actor yeah that's funny i remember um <laughs> i i was once on the set of a commercial when i was like 11 or something like that and um i feel bad for the director cuz i just didn't really want to be there i think and you know it was a commercial so i was supposed to be like oh commercial yeah. oh hey you know <laughs> super bright and over the top smiley and you know even when i was a kid i didn't like that i i want I, I <laughs> you were like, cursed with good taste this, even this from isn't the honest part. like this isn't real <laughs> acting and <laughs> and and the poor guy was just like trying to get me to be up and he would just i remember he had this little like sound effects machine like he would push a button and it would go like Aruga or something, or he'd push another button and it would, you know, I, 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 and he would like make these sound effects right before saying action. Oh. And it was so <laughs> distracting and made it so much worse. But he we was need, trying his we need best. So I mean, you're doing great. We just need a little more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, I, I understand he was he was desperate. He was reaching for something. He was dealing with a kid that like was <laughs> didn't want to be there. I don't blame the guy, but yeah, that was a tough day on set. <laughs> um, let's <laughs> you brought up your some of your early experiences. Let's let's go back if you'll indulge me a little bit. I'm curious. One of the things I asked for, I've been talking to a lot of people in the last year are about comfort films because I think it's very telling and interesting what people select. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to yours, just tell me first. Who do you think most informed your taste in film growing up? Did it come from parents, your brother, friends? Did you find it all on your own? Well, certainly, certainly my mom. Um, but I'll I'll take this moment to to say um, a a really good friend of mine, lifelong friend named Scott, um, who showed me so many films that I did not know about um he's a few years older than i am and i mean so many of my favorites are things that scott turned me on to certainly all the all the more artsy stuff like fellini or godard or any of those mm -hmm. things but but also i mean i think the first time i saw a tarantino movie was with scott the first time i saw a coen brothers movie was with scott I remember being in the theater and watching Fargo and watching Reservoir Dogs and like it was it was trips to the you know to the New Beverly or whatever with with Scott. Um, he's he's still someone I I love dearly and um, he was he's really probably the best answer to your question. And, and at about what age did your mind kind of start to open up to realize that there were these kind of amazing auteurs and and, and experimental filmmakers out there that were worth probably exploring. like around. Uh, 13 ish something yeah. like that yeah scott scott ferguson i should say he's a he's a he's a professor now actually um nice at uh university of south florida amazing amazing awesome. yeah so um i don't know if it was scott or someone else or you found this on your own but your pick uh stands apart from a lot of the picks i've gotten uh -huh. I don't think we've we've had almost any animation at all. I and looked at the list and I was like, "What? No animated films? How is that, that possible? These are supposed I know. to be comfort films." <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, there have been a lot of disturbing picks for comfort movies. Things from from like I didn't Magnolia go there. to yeah. yeah, you know exactly. But you did. You went to something that um, 
well, this is this opens up a whole like kind of world of of animation and a and and a really revered <coughs> section. Talk to me about your love of this film in particular and 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 what brought you to it and what you love about it. Sure. Well, yeah, you you asked for a comfort film, and it is true. I find comfort in some really dark and brutal films sometimes. Like oh. I I really love I don't know No Country for Old Men or something. Sure. I would I would actually take great comfort in that, but. Seeing as I think what you asked for was a comfort movie, like a movie that someone else could put on, if you're listening to this right now, something that I think will will provide peace and comfort and tranquility. Um, and uh, so I picked the movie My Neighbor Totoro, which is a, an animated movie by uh, Miyazaki. Um, you'd you'd recognize his style and his movies if you don't know his name. He's uh, he's you know the founder of Studio Ghibli and and sort of a I'm not an expert on anime. I'm really not. Um, but I think I know enough of them and they would all agree that Miyazaki is sort of a, a pinnacle uh, artistic figure in in the realm. And um, Potoro is one of his earlier movies. And uh, it is, yeah, if you ask for comfort, there's there's something so profoundly good-hearted about this movie there are no antagonists, um, even though it's it's gripping. Um, but it's I think, and especially this is it's is a movie that I loved before, but it, uh, I've especially grown to love it um, watching it with my kids. Oh wow! Um, yeah. It yeah. it the 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 two main characters are two children, and um, it captures the I think the mindset of a child better than any film that I could really name other than, other than this one. Uh, and and I think there's, you know, look, I'm a fan of Disney movies. Um, and I think there are some great ones, you know, Moana, for instance, movie I've been watching a lot lately, I think is a brilliant movie. Um, but it's, it's, you know, Moana, the story, like the story of Moana is pretty similar to the story of a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie. It's it's an action adventure movie, really. And it's there are, you know, the problems are solved with fights and it's 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 very entertaining for a kid. But Totoro captures, I think, what what being a kid is really a lot more like mm. where you're not off, you know, fighting battles to save the world necessarily but you are experiencing deeply wondrous magic in the simpler things perhaps like the nature around you staring into the forest or clouds and kind of letting your imagination take flight yeah because that's him totoro is he's this forest spirit Right. And he's he's this incredibly beautiful, kind of cute, but also like half scary, gigantic creature that's sort of like a he's sort of like a rabbit or sort of like a cat and sort of right. like a he's he's this kind of you can't put your finger on exactly what he is. <laughs> and but he's the spirit of the forest. And um and it's not exactly clear whether he's real or not. And the movie like definitely makes it impossible to know. Um, whether he's real or not. And uh, yeah, it's just a delight. I love Totoro. 
Well, I, I thank you for picking it because the, this is one, this was a blind spot for me. I've seen some of Miyazaki's work, but I hadn't watched it until yesterday. So this gave me a good excuse to okay. catch up to it. And it's everything you describe. And it is, it is that thing that like, I'm sure must, must just like ignite the imagination of children, but also mm. like works on so many levels to the point, like I was reading up on it, like no less than like Akira Kurosawa said, this is like one of his favorite films. Like this is just mm. this like highbrow and also for the kids and just, it works on all the levels and, and, mm -hmm. and is um, ethereal and magical in all the right ways. So, and the good news, by the way, to the people listening is it's uh, happens to be available on HBO max and this world hey, of streaming, nice. everything's out there. So <laughs> no excuses, check it out. Um, well, let's go through a little bit more of just sort of like some general like career stuff, because again, we're, we're bouncing around a bit, but we have the luxury of time when, when, you, when you're growing up and you're and you start to pursue acting and doing the commercials and the guest spots. Were your parents surprised that you that you stuck with it? Like, did they think it was a passing <laughs> fancy or did did they know from the start this was going to be a lifelong pursuit? No, I, none of us thought of it as a lifelong pursuit um at first i was so young I, I started when i was six but my parents were i'm so grateful for my parents they were just really supportive of anything that uh, either my brother or i were excited about and um i was really excited about this uh, the reason that it became a professional thing it comes down to luck like we were talking about a yeah. minute ago like i happened to be born and raised in a suburb of Los Angeles where it was a relatively short drive to the auditions to be on TV shows and commercials and movies and stuff. And if I hadn't grown up there, if we had grown up in a house, you know, an hour further to the north, right. uh, probably none of this would have, you know, would have happened. Um, that's luck. <laughs> it's it's and, so funny to look back at, I mean, I'm obviously so familiar, especially with your work in the last, you know, 10, 15 years when we've been talking and I've really been like covering this stuff closely, but to look at the early stuff and to realize I was watching you in things when I was growing up, that I didn't even realize I was watching you in like, <laughs> I rewatched re like, re like the opening credits to like the Dark Shadows reboot and Whoa. there you are, Joe, <laughs> like, yep. oh my God, yep. I remember I saw this when I was a kid. You I did? I doing, wow, you it. remember that? Oh yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. I loved that job. That was a really fun job. I remember really liking that. Getting to looks... be in a show with vampires and stuff when I was nine. It was so of cool. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Then you were in a movie that I totally forgot existed until literally yesterday when I was reading up on it. What a bizarre movie directed by the great Leonard Nimoy, Holy <laughs> Matrimony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was what another a... really, really great one, especially because Leonard was such a sweet, yeah. great guy and and director um for those who don't know leonard nimoy played spock in the original star trek and um yeah he directed this fairly light-hearted comedy that i was in when i was 12 like right before same year that i shot angels in the outfield right. uh i shot holy matrimony and uh it's the funny story where uh, i was i was playing a kid in this religious community sort of like um the amish, the amish kind of thing. um yeah, yeah. but they're called hutterites and uh religiously if your brother dies you have to marry the uh you have to marry your brother's spouse and so sure. it's a story about me this 12 year old having to marry uh patricia arquette who had just <laughs> finished doing true romance uh and it was, was also say, how confusing was, is this for you yeah. as a 12 year old boy <laughs> yeah. about to go through puberty to be like 
with Patricia. Oh yeah, okay. I mean, I, I had the the biggest crush on Patricia because, of course, she was beautiful. But beyond that, um, she was so sweet and supportive and and good to me as an actor. As you know, she was a you know uh, a grown up and. Um, I mean, grown up, I don't know how old she was. She's probably like 25 or something, but you know, exactly. I was 12. So she, she was a grown up and, and helping me. Like this was one of the first times I had a, a part this big where I was in the whole movie. And, um, she was just so, so, um, such a good friend and, and mentor, uh, uh, yeah, I was deeply in love with her, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that I I haven't I haven't gone back and watched that movie in I don't know how long, but I I loved them. That's really funny you bring it up. <laughs> not, not not so long after that, obviously, uh, you you join Third Rock, Rock from the Sun, and you know again one of the the watchwords of this conversation is luck. I mean, you could end up on a lot of different kinds of shows that last a while that don't feature the likes of John Lithgow and Jane Curtin yeah. as people to kind of like have as your North star, like talk about like a great master class. I mean, let's go. I've talked to him. He's been on the podcast. I mean, there's not a more gentle, smart, brave, interesting performer yeah. than him. So John is, is such a hero and a dear friend. I mean, I, and I love him so much. And I mean, we were just emailing the other day and we're still close. And um, what you said is it couldn't be more right. And I, I learned so much from him about, a lot about acting and, and comedy in particular and performing in front of an audience. Cause when I started third rock from the sun, I, I didn't really have any experience in front of an audience. I had grown up working on TV shows and commercials and stuff. And right. the whole cast of third rock were theater people. You know, John comes from the theater, Kristen Johnson, French Stewart, Jane Curtin on SNL. Everyone had a lot of experience in front of an audience and getting an audience to laugh and what that means. And I did not. And I, I learned so much from them in, in that regard. Um, but I, I also, it's, it's worth noting. I feel like I learned from John about how you kind of lead. He was, he was the leader of, of all of us. He set the tone of how we were going to conduct ourselves and how we were going to try our very, very, very hardest and put our whole selves into it from jump. We would do table reads, you know, uh, a table read is something you do usually at the beginning of a week of a show like this where everyone's just sitting around a table with scripts and you're not up and acting or anything. You're just reading your lines uh, around the table. But we would do table reads and he would go just full, full commitment. And and of course, then we're all going to follow him there. And if he yeah. hadn't, if he had right. been less committed, then we would have followed him there too. And he always had such a positive attitude. He was always so supportive and kind to everybody. And, um, you know, as I grew up and, and found myself in a variety of professional environments, I realized like, oh, not all sets are like this. And John really made that happen. And it's something I strive to do. You know, now I find myself in, in positions of leadership and I, I, I give him a lot of credit for yeah. how I try to conduct myself and the tone I try to set when, when I'm in uh, professional environments like that. He, he's certainly one of the best and certainly what I would call also like a, a fearless performer, not afraid to pay, play the fool if you have to and just oh, yeah. commit all the way. I mean, I like that you said fearless. That's so true. He would, he would just, he really would. He was fearless. And yeah, that's something I've, 
I've, I've strived for as well. So, so, so jumping ahead a bit, I mean, you know, obviously, obviously can't cover everything, but like, there's a, certainly a transition point after you go to school for a bit and you start to do kind of like these great kind of run of Sundance films, whether it's Manic or Mysterious Skin. Uh, but a clear shift is also finding a friend and collaborator. And the other watchword that always comes up in our conversations and it pertains to hit record is collaboration. Yeah, collaboration. And, and thanks um, for mentioning hit record. Of course. And we can get into it a little bit more too. But um, you meet Ryan Johnson on mm -hmm. For Brick. And my mm -hmm. sense is you find there a friend and, a, and and almost as important a collaborator someone that mm. that, that will that, that brings you into the process on that film is it fair to say you felt like on that film in particular you had more of a seat at the table and and, and felt like you were you were in on the ground floor and could collaborate in a better more positive way or what? oh a hundred percent yeah he that that's ryan's attitude um he's it's incredible the balance he strikes because he comes with so many ideas and such a clear vision of his own, but he's also very focused on bringing others into that process and, uh, and eliciting contributions and incorporating those contributions from others, uh, yeah. many of which are, are really unexpected. But, I mean, just to tell you how much he let me in on it, we... I remember sitting in his apartment. For some reason, we sat on the floor. I don't know why we did that. <laughs> we sat on the floor in his apartment um, before we shot Brick. And he took me through the script and told me every single shot he was planning with the camera. This is information that actors conventionally aren't privy to and aren't, it's not entirely necessary for the actor to right. know Maybe all this never but... know what the lens what the camera is that yeah. it's not your job necessarily to know that. <laughs> exactly um but it, it it can really be helpful if you understand yeah. what's going on with the camera if you if you like that sort of thing and and look there are, there are some actors who just don't pay attention and i and they're some of the greatest actors of all time that just that don't pay attention to that and i that's their process i personally uh i like knowing where the camera is it, it to me, that helps me. Um, and uh, and when I told him that, he was like, oh, I'll tell you where the camera's going to be. And, and he, we sat there for hours, and he went through shot for shot the whole script. And, and that's one example of many where he was always just pulling me into the process. He, he, I remember him playing me... Um, you know, early versions of music that he and Nathan Johnson were working on uh, and talking to me about it. The actor doesn't usually have <laughs> any part of the conversation around what the music is going to be like in a, in a movie. Um, and Ryan included me in that and, and so many things. And um, so it's, I think it's, uh, it's an astute thing for you to say that, yeah, he, he really was a collaborator on a different level than I had experienced before. No, no actor who who lasts more than you know a second in this business doesn't have one or two. How the hell did that happen? Uh, items on the resume. Uh, you think we don't have too many? To You're your talking about Inception, I think. No, no, no. That's in a good way. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> but I do mean um, the. Well, that's a good. Uh, how the hell did that happen? That thing exactly. just like that's all the, of a sudden that's fell the positive in spit on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm, I am curious. I know you're buddies with Channing. Channing and you have, have, have known each other and worked together a lot over the years. Yeah. Who convinced who to do G.I. Joe? Did you convince <laughs> Channing? Did Channing convince you? <laughs> Is there any bad blood there? 
I think that might have been more my fault. Yeah, I think I I definitely was in on that movie before he was. And um, yeah, I probably owe him some amount of apology. We had fun. I don't know. I had fun. I mean, I I got to play like a weird kooky villain. He had to do, you know. Duke. Yeah, he had to supplement so, like, <laughs> interesting qualities. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't going to do that movie. And then, you know, they showed me like the crazy prosthetics I was going to get to wear and everything. I was like, oh, how how many times in my life am I going to get a chance to do this? I don't know. Like, all right, let me do it. So that's what was, happened. Is, is there a moment in that process where you're like, oh, shit, this is not going <laughs> <laughs> to oh, Here we go. Uh, you know, I mean, look, the movie was a hit. Like, no, it did. It did very well. You know, so I don't know. I was like, I mean, this isn't necessarily my cup of tea, but I'm having a blast wearing these prosthetics and playing this kooky bad guy. And uh, pro- I guess like people are going to go see it. So, hey, cool. And by the way, uh, on G.I. Joe is where I met Kazu. Um, uh, Kazu- uh, Kazuhiro Tsuji is his name. He was one of the great makeup artists of all time. Oh. And he did my prosthetics on G.I. Joe. And then when Ryan... Uh, asked me to do Looper. Got it. And we were going to uh, try to make me look like Bruce Willis somehow. I was like, I wonder if Kazu will do it. And I remember sitting at a table with uh, Ryan and Kazu. And Kazu had photos of me and Bruce Willis next to each other. And he was like diagramming why <laughs> it wouldn't work. Why, why I like would never look like Bruce Willis and 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 Ryan speaking to Kazu and saying like I know it won't be exactly right it just has to hint at it that's it's enough and Kazu being like are you sure because let me show you how the, do, how the anatomy yeah. of a body works yeah, yeah. <laughs> he drew like he drew a line right. between like the bottom of my nose to the top of my lip and then a line between the bottom of Bruce's nose to the top of Bruce's lip and was like, see, these fa- there's nothing I can do about that with makeup. These are just so two funny. different faces. And um, but by the end of that, people were right. I, I would say he's right. And, and Ryan was right. Yeah, that, well, it, exactly. Yeah. The, Kazu was right that I don't look exactly like a young Bruce Willis. <laughs> and Ryan was right that uh, it, it still it works in, yes, in the movie. Totally yeah. <laughs> One of speaking one of, speaking of Channing, one of the great unrealized projects that I will always wish had happened. It's I assume it's it's never going to happen now. Is is the Guys and Dolls you were going to do? Oh yeah, I, yeah. I'm a big fan of Guys and Dolls in particular. That musical. Sure. Yeah. Even that movie. I was, yeah. I did that, Guys that, and Dolls in like community theater when I was a little kid. I, I did I Guys and Dolls at camp. I played Father Abernathy. You, my my oh, own singing nice. role. <laughs> nice. Did you did did is that an unrealized dream? I mean, I know you and Channing still talk about doing a musical is that still in development working on i feel like there's one called the wingman is that still out there right we were developing a musical called wingman that one um seems to have not happened yeah i don't know we'll uh, one day chan and i'll do something singy and dancey yeah but um yeah guys and dolls is you know it's funny how stuff makes it out into the press before it's a real thing and uh there's a there's for every one of those you hear about, there are like many more that you don't hear about. And it's just part of like making movies is like, they don't, you know, they don't coalesce sometimes. Well, that's... while we're in that track, if you'll indulge me, here are two others that have come up over the years that okay. just, those, those what ifs always intrigue me. And clearly sure. there's a different road, there's a different path, there's a different road where you're on your like sixth Ant-Man or Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> movie right now. <laughs> Yeah. Which is a cool life, but it's, you're probably not making Mr. Corman if you're Peter Quill 
or Ant-Man. Yeah, um, or Don John or Hit Record or, I mean, you know, and I, for sure, uh, I would be lying if I didn't have, if I didn't say I have moments where I'm like, oh man, maybe I should have um, been in the most popular thing ever. Uh, that was a, that was a big opportunity. Um, uh, but, um, but you know what, like, it's also a really big opportunity to get to make the movie that I wanted to make and get to like make this company that I wanted to make. And I, you know, you, there's only so many hours in the day and, uh, I, I feel I I've, I've over and over again, sort of when I've amassed some amount of clout in, in uh show business, spent that clout to do something no, really that. like yeah. that I wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I feel just lucky that I've gotten to do that. Um, one question on your collaborations with with Mr. Nolan. You mentioned Inception, and then of course you work again on Dark Knight uh, Rises. I mean, you mentioned Ryan walking you through like every shot, everything. I'm curious, like on Dark Knight Rises, did he give you the whole like? Did he give you to the last shot, like the, literally that you on the platform, essentially becoming the heir to the to, to Batman, or was part of that discovered along the way for you? Yeah, he gave me that script and made it clear like other people don't have this. Uh so don't, you know, so be careful with this. Yeah. Did you lose your mind when you saw that? Even like just that, that <laughs> what I mean, watching that for the first time, I was like practically screaming at the, <laughs> the screen. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I mean, the whole uh, all of it getting to getting to work with Chris was that way. You know what I didn't know though was that 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 crazy zero gravity fight scene in Inception, I did not understand how elaborate and cool that was going to be right away. It didn't read I, on the page as that no, revolutionary. On the, on the script, it? it says they fight. Period. And, <laughs> and 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 then it turned out like they they you know they're like all right, it's time to start your training. And I was like, my training? Whoa, okay. And you know, show up and like enter into this months long training process that I honestly did not know was coming. That was a, uh, an unexpected gift. Yeah. They fight does a lot of the work. Yeah. For Chris <laughs> Nolan in that script. Uh -huh. um, briefly. Cause I, I know I got to let you go, but um, in addition to Mr. Corman, uh, a bunch of things coming up for you. Did you get to collaborate again with Mr. Zemeckis? You're going to be voicing yeah. Jiminy yeah. Cricket. Yeah, we're making we're making Pinocchio. He's making Pinocchio, and he invited me to to voice Jiminy Cricket. It's uh, we talk about an unexpected gift. Um, I love Bob, and uh, and so delighted and grateful that he he came back to me. We had such a good time making the walk, and yeah. Um, and yeah, he, he you know he sent me uh, he sent me an original sketch of Jiminy, like that's probably a hundred years old or something. I mean. No, maybe not 100. I think the original uh, Pinocchio came out in 1939. So it's 2021. So it's like it's like an 80-year-old so, yeah. piece of paper with, you know, a pencil drawing of, of you know, the, those Disney artists back then drawing Jiminy Cricket. Um, he's such a, a kind and thoughtful and fun-loving filmmaker. Yeah, we're, we're having a blast making Pinocchio. So no 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 performance capture suit for you though. You're just doing voice for this? No, yeah, just just voice. The the human characters are humans and the okay. non-human characters are animated. Again, going back to where we started, like you as this kind of like pillar of creativity in all forms. I feel like you would love digging into performance capture at some point. I would. I really really would. Yeah, it's that's definitely uh 
something I'd love to do that I haven't had a chance to do yet. We 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 did a little bit of stuff like that on the walk, mm-hmm. uh, and I've I've done a little bit on on other um, shows, but those those are not getting to play a creature or something like that. Those are, you know, getting to make a stunt look real or, or things like that. Um, but yeah, one day I would, I would love to play some kind of crazy creature. <laughs> He's just getting started guys. I mean, it, yeah. it, it is telling, I mean, look, you obviously love singing and performing and, and art in all aspects. And at 40, look, you're just getting started musicals, performance capture, more TV shows, <laughs> directing. There's a lot to come. Uh, Let's direct a TV show musical about creatures that will yeah, do I was going to say creatures have to factor in some way. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should mention briefly, hit record. Yes, as you know, I mean, I, I've been talking to, to you about this for 10, 11 years since you kind of launched it. Yeah. Um, remains a great platform, this uh, amazing collaborative space that is a... Um, a, a rare bright spot of in the social media <laughs> landscape. <laughs> Thanks, uh, man. Have you? Yeah, have well, you... you know, there's so much, there's so much art and creativity online these days that's kind of competitive, where yeah. you're vying for attention in the form of likes and followers and stuff. And we're, you know, we're all about like, uh, let's take the focus off of look at me and look at me, um, and put the focus on what could we make together. I, I like the idea that the internet is a place where people come together and, and make things together that they might not have been able to on their own. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say anything negative about all the amazing stuff that's online of, of people making stuff on their own and, and, and exhibiting it on, on the various platforms. But, um, but I, I think creativity can be more than show business, more than a path to becoming you know famous or something creativity can be something yeah really personally meaningful and and give joy and fun on a level that's a lot uh, more lasting and powerful than the thrill you get from uh the disposable you know, likes of an instagram post or, or, or yeah, high views or yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, it does feel like and i admire that you i feel like hit record has like maintained I feel like you could have gone too big for your own britches and kind of like gone like to, you know what I mean? Like you obviously produce books and music and TV, but yet somehow it doesn't feel, it still feels like a relatively small community, like the right size for what it, what it is. Yeah. Well, we really prioritize community and maintaining that positivity amongst our community over everything else. And that has meant a, uh, you know, a more organic and steady growth as opposed to, some of the like explosive stuff that you'll sometimes um, see. Uh, but it's also meant that we've, yeah, we've been around for, you know, the, before we launched as a production company, which is when I first started talking to you about it, Josh, you know, the community existed on this little hobby message board that my brother and I were running for years before that. And we've, you know, yeah. the hit record community has been being cool and kind and collaborative to each other for, uh, I don't know, 12, 13 years now or something Amazing. like that. And um, yeah, so that's that's something that, that matters a lot to me. It's a it's a haven for me. And yeah, it, it's easy to get kind of wrapped up in show business and right. getting to spend time in the hit record community is is always really refreshing and enlivening to me to be like, ah, art and creativity can be something other than just show business. Right. And I'm sure for you, a great reminder. And uh, I know what a passion it was for for your brother too and how you launched it together and that it lives on is, is a great tribute to him. As yeah, well. thank you for mentioning Dan. Yeah. 
Um, congratulations, man, on this. Mr. Corman is the show. It's on Apple TV Plus. Everybody should truly check it out. I mean, obviously, um, you, uh, you, you really push the envelope in the best possible ways in this. When, you know, if you think the show is one thing, wait another episode and it's, it's going <laughs> to try something inventive and weird and fascinating in the next one. And, and as I alluded to, it's, it's just spilling over with great performances from you and Arturo and Deborah Winger, the great Deborah Winger and Hugo mm -hmm. and Juno. So, um, Congratulations, man. I hope you're feeling good about it. And, Thank you, um, Josh. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And always great to catch up with you, man. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>